So welcome to The Mystic. Ashley, get us started. So what is the mystic? It's not Muslim prayers on Friday, Jewish prayers on Saturday, or Christian prayers on Sunday. The mystic is a catalyst. Through music, story, silence, and dialogue, we hope to strengthen our attachment to hopes and dreams. In the mystic, diversity is a prerequisite for all creativity which is why Crosstown Concourse is the perfect home. In the mystic, the world is far better served by our different beliefs than it could ever be if limited by rigid uniformity. And even if this doesn't rock your gypsy soul, as the lyrics to the song say, the goal of the mystic is not to feel better, but to get better at feeling. I ask that we each find the strength to open our hearts and treasure the differences that distinguish us. And may the music of compassion, kindness, spirit, and insight fill this hour. We were born before the wind So much younger than the sun Ere the bonded boat was worn Into the mystic A heart now here Sailors cry Feel the wind And taste the sky Let your soul and spirit fly Into the mystic And when that fog home blows will be coming home When that foghorn whistle blows 
I wanna hear it. I don't wanna fear it. I wanna rock your gypsy soul. Just like days ago. And magnificently we will flow into the misty. When that fog home blows, I will be coming home. When that fog home whistle blows, I want to hear it. I don't want to fear it. I want to rock your gypsy soul. Just like days of old And magnificently we will flow Into the misty And magnificently we will flow Into the misty Was the immortal voice and legacy of Reverend John Kilzer. We're grateful for his spirit. Uh, it's the 6th of February. We're six days into what began as Negro History Week in 1926. Black History Month didn't really start. Most people don't know this. Um, until 1970, my father was a rabbi near Kent State, and it was African-American educators there um, and students who started what we know as Black History Month. And um, 1976, when President Gerald Ford uh, was president, the bicentennial years is when it became the national commemoration to celebrate uh, the contributions of Africans in the diaspora, particularly America, Great Britain, Ireland. I was at Stax earlier today, two nights after we won two Grammy Awards, <laughs> listening to Jeff Kolath, the director of the museum, talk about the contribution of African Americans to music way before there ever was a Black History <laughs> Month. The Henderson Thigpen, all these unsung heroes who won the award. But um, so since we are talking about Black History Month every day in Memphis and not just this month, tonight I thought we might talk about what everyone else is doing and that is getting Valentine's candy, <laughs> um, which raises a broader and deeper subject uh, than attraction relationships between partners. In fact, many of us may not have thought about this, but in the Bible, the first time the word love appears is not between Adam and Eve. It the first time the word love appears has nothing to do with romantic love at all. Uh, the first time love appears is within the context of family. 
It's when Abraham and Isaac, father and son, take your son whom you love. So if half the world are women, the other half know them as mothers. And if half the world are men, the other half know them as fathers. And yet, each parent-child relationship is utterly unique. So I thought what we do for this February mystic, I, I've asked my co-mysticians, <laughs> Joshua, Lillian, and Scott, to address one of each of these distinctive relationships over the course of the hour, and for Karen and Ashley to offer music that directly aligns. And I'm gonna hold you all in suspense for why that seat is empty and will be filled shortly with a huge surprise. But first, Joshua, your brief thoughts on the mother-son thing, either through your own lens or your observations as a minister. Here's where you messed up, Micah. You said brief. You said brief. <laughs> I yeah, Joshua don't do brief. At all. <laughs> Brevity is not what I am known for. I'm the host. You've got two minutes. <laughs> okay, three. Um, you know, it's as you, as you said, Micah, these relationships are unique, right? And so the struggle is trying to say something that doesn't just fall into generalization. Um, and so I, I start with myself because we believe that what's most particular can also be what's most universal. And so I am a mama's boy, if I must put a label on it, right? There's deep and abiding relationship between my mother and I, and I was reflecting on it and thinking about mother and son relationships and what it means, particularly as a black man, to show up in the world. And it's the completeness of her love for me that gives me the courage to exist, right? That whatever I'm facing, there's the reality that my mother loves me. And particularly when, you know, those relation, mother relationships are complicated, but when they are at their best, I think that the completeness of a mother's love for their son in particular gives them courage to exist fully as who they are and who they ought to be. Um, and it also opens up this reality right, of the, the life-giving nature of motherhood, of mothering, um, that there, I feel this mutual responsibility Right, my mother has a responsibility for me and I for her because she gave, gave me life, right? And also I am the life that she gave. And so there's that um, responsibility of how we care for one another. And that responsibility shapes how I lead, how I live, how I minister, um, that, that that love that we share um, makes so much of a difference. Hopefully I got a minute left because I got a second point. <laughs> because I'm a preacher, then I, I find myself thinking about Christ. Um, and so there's a thing that our Eastern Orthodox and our Catholic friends do really well that us Protestants continue to fail to do, which is to remember Mary, right? And thinking about um, the, the concept that I was introduced to in seminary called the, the, the Theotokos, right? Of Mary as the bearer of God. Right, that Mary in the title Mother of God means so much. Um, and that if we take that seriously, then it means you can't know Christ unless you know Mary. Within the context of a mother-son relationship that at, at my best and at our best, to know me is to know the best parts of my mother. 
right? To appreciate me is to appreciate the best parts of my mother. The Catholic theologians talk about it's not so much that Mary bore Christ into the world. It's her discipleship of Jesus that makes the difference, wow. right? It's the way that she, she carried and shaped and formed him. And so when it comes to mother-son relationships, it, it, it's impossible to separate because to know me as Joshua and to, to know me fully is to know the best of Norma. So I'll stop there because I'm probably yeah. going over. It was worth the extra 30 seconds. That last point was amazing. <laughs> um, Lillian, you are not only the daughter of a mother, but a mother yourself of three daughters. I see one of your angels in the front row here tonight. Um, what's that love relationship about? Mother, daughter. Mother, daughter. Well, I had to, I'm not usually at a loss for words, but this is a topic that can get me choked up. So I'm like, I'm going to write it down so I can get through it. Uh, especially with my oldest, my six-year-old staring at me right now, my Ingrid. Um, and I want to I name that I speak of this through the lens. We live in a world where there are a lot of ways to be a mother, become yeah. a mother, or to mother. Yeah. Like, that, that this, is, this is spoken through my lens as a cisgender woman who's been pregnant four times and birthed three daughters. I know the pain of pregnancy loss. I know the magic of growing a human being inside of me and pushing them out into the world. Mm. Um, these experiences have all informed my relationship with my daughters and my relationship with my own mother, who is also a pastor. Um, being a mother fills me up and empties me out on a continual basis. I am filled with love more expansive than I ever knew. I'm filled with awe at watching the little girls that I helped create become more and more independent and knowledgeable and opinionated. I'm filled with fear that something will happen to one of them, illness, violence, guns, and injury loom everywhere when you are a mother. I'm filled with hope that the people they become will be better, smarter, and kinder. From the moment I became pregnant for the first time, my thoughts were never mine alone. My girls invade my awareness all the time, and it's a welcome intrusion, even in the times when it isn't convenient. For about five years, I shared my physical body as a habitat and then as a source of food, uh, and I'm only now starting to comprehend what that all involved. I've only started to now realize my body is kind of mine again. Um, but giving, sacrificing your body for another is kind of a Jesus-y thing, and I'm kind of <laughs> starting to make that connection a little more now. Being a mom is a gift, an obligation, a moral compass that moves me outside of myself more often a joy, a sacrifice, and the most exciting and entertaining part of my life. Wow. Bottle that. Amen. <laughs> um, since this is interfaith, we've talked about Jesus. I just want to clarify for the Jews out there, that is not Elijah's chair. <laughs> <laughs> we make that joke, too. <laughs> um, tonight in this really great crowd in the green room at Crosstown Concourse, for those of you listening to this podcast or the radio, uh, my childhood dear friend, uh, one of, more like a relative, from Florida, a multimedia artist known for collage paintings and immersive installations exploring literature and social justice, is with us tonight from Costa Rica. His Gun Sense billboard 
How Was School Today mm. earned him a 2018 award honoring the backbone of Miami's visual arts community. Um, his own Swan Dive podcast, Swan Dive, features guests from all walks of life who made a major life change to chase their dream, including funk legend George Clinton, a National Geographic photographer who walked across America with his dog, a Stanley Cup hockey champion, and many more. Stuart is here tonight not because he is among my closest and oldest friends, but because of his impactful art that has been presented not only in Miami, London, Berlin, and galleries across the United States, but right here at Crosstown Concourse, down the hall at Church Health, with his work entitled, and it's in front of you, to Dr. Morris's left, I Love You, Daddy. Now, I have to say, the stars are doubly aligned tonight with the presence in this crowd tonight of another distinguished guest and lifelong friend uh, of mine and Stuart's, who was the Dr. Scott Morris of Long Island throughout the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic, well-known infectious disease physician, Alan Bolbin. Uh, when we were younger, Alan won every student council election with his slogan, if you want positive change, then put the bulb in. His last name's Bulbin. He never lost. <laughs> but please give it up for this amazing artist, Stuart Sheldon. Welcome. So Stuart, uh, before we hear some music, and as people get to know you, a general question. How as an artist do you express love visually? Tonight's about the love of parent-child relationships. How do you paint or express love in the medium in which you swim as an artist? Wow. Um, well, first, I'd like to thank you, Scott and, and Micah, and each of you for, for having me. I'm, I'm deeply honored. I think that this, this venue is a very important, sacred place. And yeah, we'll talk about Crosstown. Like, we from Memphis were like, oh, yeah, we're going to Crosstown Concourse. And you came in here and you said, wow. No, this is this outsiders. Is this place help. is important. Every city planner, every architect, every, every educator should come here and learn what this is and how it works. And... The grace here, the beauty here is, is it, I, I, I'm literally, I'm choked up about it. It's such an important place. And the fact that you're all here tonight is, is testament to that. But um, how, do I, how do I creatively express love? Um, I'm a self-taught artist, a self-taught painter, um, and which means I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and I have worked very hard to get out of my head and into my body when I paint. It's a dance. It's messy. And when you, when I have had those blessed moments to really lock into that zone of flow and it's happening, it, it's all love. Mm -hmm. And whether I'm jubilant or in despair, some of my best works have been from deep sadness, um, it's true. And when it's true, it's love. So 
it's just uh, uh, any, any, you know, there's a beautiful African proverb I had on my website for many, many years. It says, if you can walk, you can dance. If you can talk, you can sing. And I think that we all can find that, that ability to express something. Um, and when you do it in that manner, it is love. Beautiful. Um, the African power again, if you repeat it. If you, if you can, can walk, you can dance. If you can talk, you can sing. Karen Brown can sing. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley can play. Dear Theodosia, how to say to you Sometime last night, your mother breathed your name. And like a flame that flickers out too soon, she dies, she's gone. She dedicated every day to you she changed my life she made my life worthwhile and when you smile I know a part of her lives on I know I can go on you have That was better than Hamilton, but it was uh, such a beautiful song uh, about parents and children. We, we've talked about mother and son, uh, mother, daughter. We're going to build up to Stuart's amazing installation at Church Health called I Love You, Daddy, and we'll get to Scott um, soon talking about father, son. I have been um, tasked with father, daughter. 
and I see one in the front row. <laughs> I wrote it down, too, to stick to my two minutes. <clears throat> Our society tends to emphasize the importance of mother-daughter relationships more than father-daughter relationships. Most children's books, TV programs, and movies send the message that fathers and daughters are not supposed to know each other as well or spend as much time together as mothers and daughters. And while mothers and daughters generally know each other better and spend more time together throughout their lives than fathers and daughters, too many daughters later in life regret not having gotten to know their father very well while he was still alive. The research shows that daughters raised by single fathers are just as well adjusted and as happy as daughters raised by single mothers. Research also suggests that the relationship girls had and have with their dads can affect their ability to sustain or maintain satisfying relationships, be effective parents, find fulfillment in life, and speak up for themselves. Speaking personally, the father-daughter relationship is one of the most precious and unique connections that exist. No other love in the world is like the love of a father for his little girl. Like Hugh Jackman said, <laughs> when I come home, my daughter will run to the door and give me a big hug, and everything that's happened that day just melts away. Or as another philosopher put it, there's something like a line of gold thread running through a dad's words when he talks to his daughter. And gradually over the years, that thread gets to be long enough for you to pick it up in your hands and weave it into a cloth that feels like love itself. The card that my own daughters can no doubt relate to reads, I smile because you're my father. I laugh because there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> my daughters are my heart. Scott, father, son. I thought that was the name of the painting, but it's really I Love You, Daddy, which we'll talk about. But will you talk more about father, son? Well, so I was, uh, when I was born, my father was 22 years old. As I grew up, my father literally went not just to every game I ever had, but every practice, I, and I played three sports, baseball, football, uh, basketball. I mean, he was always there. And then when I turned 16, of course, he bought me a car. In 1970, he bought me a GTO Judge. It had an airfoil on the back. <laughs> it had racing stripes down the side. And to this day, I'm still not quite sure what it was, but it had Ram Air. <laughs> My uh, mother died when I was a freshman in college, and uh, my father got remarried. And then I ended up going to school in London my junior year, at which point I, I now have two stepbrothers, and the oldest of those two, John, my father gave my judge to. <clears throat> and he wrecked it. So these days, uh, my father, uh, I talk to my father every Sunday night, and he says, he, my father is 91 years old, and he says the only time he thinks about how old he is is when he thinks about how old I am. Um, but then I have another stepbrother, Brian, who he and I have 
bound together as though we're true brothers. And the thing that connects us is is my father. We, we both talk to him every Sunday. And, um, you know, my, my father still works from his assisted living uh, apartment. Um, maybe the apple doesn't fall far from the tree there, but uh, I don't know. Those are That's the story of my father. And uh, maybe there's something in there. There's a lot in there. <laughs> um, I was explaining to our guests from Miami, Costa Rica, New York, it sounds like an amphibian if you're a Memphian. Um, but we Memphians who pass by Church Health here at Crosstown Concourse, pass that by, that huge installation. And most of us probably never knew that it has to do with this February theme of love and parent-child relationships. Uh, so with the artist present, Stuart, would you share with everyone the genesis of this, the meaning of it, the message in your heart about it? With pleasure. Um, so I believe in trying to manifest things that I seek. Um, I wanted to, in my mid-30s, I, I, I wanted three things. I wanted love, a partner, I wanted a family, children, and I wanted creative success, and I had none of them. To make a very long story short, I, in that state of darkness, started painting the, the silhouette of the woman I loved. And I paid, made 30 or so of these paintings with the outline, the word now, little tiny written now, 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 of this triumphant, beautiful woman. And when I finished those paintings, uh, I met someone, and she's now my wife. And uh, it was as if I'd done a chalk outline of her body. It was a, a very magical, mystical <laughs> event. And subsequently, I've, I've attempted through my paintings to manifest things that were important to me. Mm. One of the things that I've always wanted to do is write a book. And I'm in the process, have been in the process of writing a book for 15 years now. <laughs> if you look in the middle of that canvas, you'll see a little piece of paper. Well, that is the title page of the manuscript of the book, which is titled A Lonely Fool's Masterpiece. And it's about the story of meeting my wife and attempting to have children. Well, I eventually did have children, beautiful children, and I eventually did have creative success. Well, this series of paintings with chopped up book covers is entitled The Best Books Ever Written. That's the name of the entire series. And each uh, painting has a particular theme uh, and the reason that my manuscript's in the middle of that is because I took the best books ever written, Moby Dick and The Great Gatsby and Steinbeck and on and on and infused them through and into the, the, the title page of my manuscript so that it would become one of the best books ever written as well. <laughs> this particular book, each painting has a theme. This particular book is fatherhood. Uh, my father was getting on in years when I made this piece. Uh, I had recently become a father when I made it. And so I asked my dad what his favorite books were. One of the things I've learned through the process of this series of paintings is how much you learn about someone by learning their favorite books. It's profoundly telling what you, you know, and surprising and lovely to learn what people's favorite books were. So I had never asked my dad this question, but I asked him in his 80s what his favorite books were. And, 
his favorite books were Robinson Crusoe, uh, Huck Finn, um, a couple of books, a Leon Uris book about uh, Judaism, um, old books, but these books about a boyhood books, books that you read when you're a boy and about being a boy, Huck Finn, Robinson Crusoe, I recognize him so much of, I mean, these are his favorite books, mind you. So much of my father was still that boy and that dreamer. Uh, and so I found that very enlightening. The rest of the books are my favorite books about fatherhood. As I was trying to get my way, make my way with two young children, um, I wanted to represent that. And again, love, of course, is is ever-present in all of it. And so these paintings are what I call pathways. And, and what I've recently come is I'm making one currently um, sort of an ecstatic dance where the, the trails just kind of go where they go and they move at where they move in, this, in the moment. And, uh, and so this piece is, um, is just about the, the, the sanctity of fatherhood, the beauty of it. Uh, and the many trails it takes us on. And I would like to state, um, Scott, that I, I would like to donate this painting to Church Health for in perpetuity, for your oh generosity um, oh and, your, and your kindness for what you do here. Thank you, Stuart. Well, well, let me ask the question then. You know, where the painting sits is in the area where almost all of the children who are seen by the doctor or by the dentist at Church Health, they, they will all pass by the painting. So, I mean, what, what do you want them to get from it? Hmm. Joy. Uh, lightness. I, I, I left the United States six years ago. I live in a remote part of the of, of, of a beautiful part of Costa Rica near the sea. I see the sea and hear it every day. And, and so I'm out of the mainstream of sort of dense U.S. life. Um, and I'm really leaning into wellness and joy in my day-to-day -day existence. And I say that because I feel and I fear that the children in, in, in the United States are sort of anxious and, you know, riddled with negative stimulation on a, on a daily basis, psychologically, you know, visually. And I hope this is a reprieve. I hope this is playful. I hope that it, it, it piques their curiosity and the color, the bright colors make them happy. And I just hope it brings joy to their lives. I wanted to return us, if it's OK, to what Reverend Joshua next to you brought up, because um, he talked about mother son and mother Mary. By the way, I was probably the last person to learn this. You know the song, Let It Be? Everyone thinks when I think of times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. His mother died when he was a teenager. Her name was Mary. Mm. Most people, and that, it, it's about that primal relationship. And most people think it had to do with the mother of Jesus. But if you had to paint, I love my mommy not I love my daddy. Would it just be different books? Hmm. Wow, Mike is a good question asker. And by the <laughs> way, I loved your, I loved your commentary. It's magnificent. Um, well, I too am a mama's boy. And my mother is my 
everything. She's still alive and well, and my father subsequently died. But uh, what would I paint for my mother? It's so big. It's so big. I know um, she's your Shiro. I know her. Yeah, she is. I, I, I don't know what it would be because I haven't. It, it's, it's too much to just sort of say off the top of my head. But boy, it would be, there would be a lot of gratitude in it. And the color that's coming into me is a blue, and I, I don't know what, what happens next, but that's what, you know. Well, thank you for giving that painting. All the children will see joy and wonder. And uh, I think we have a song that hopefully all children know. Parents uh, are the me in this, right? Is that what we're doing? you can't care 
right up the road I'll share your load If you just call me Call me Call me If you need a friend I need you right now Congregational singing in this. <laughs> so that's the first time in five years where the musician actually was teaching us, because um, this is about parent-child relationships. Ingrid and the other children out there, um, your parents are always there for you, whether you're well or not. They're there when you sing off the charts like this woman does, or when you cough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's hear it. All right, thank you, Kerry. This is the fun part. Um, Brother Stu, you said uh, you're the type of artist like you do it as you go. What's that called? A self-made creative? What, what did you use that, uh, the way you uh, describe yourself? Self-taught. Self-taught. So the mystic is we're basically that too. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we just have a sheet of what's next, and it's a dialogue. Yeah. yeah. So my fellow panelists, Stu, one thought leads to another. What are, you, what are your thoughts that have been going through your mind listening, Lillian, Joshua, Scott Stewart, we have time. Look, I thought Joshua's words were pretty profound. And uh, can you just speak more about how your relationship with your mother and how you were tying that to Mary? Oh, goodness. Um, it's the more that um, I become who I am, uh, the more that I begin, continue to love who I am, the more, I think I've used this phrasing before, I see the fingerprints of my mother, right? That I, whenever I begin to fall into how great I am, I realize the only reason I am that way is because Norma happens to be my mother. And I'm able to tap into that gratitude, right? That you're talking about, that it's this overwhelming sense of, I get to be who I am because God chose to make her the one who I came through. And if we scale that to, a, to, to Christ, to consideration of Christ, that Christ gets to be who he is because God chose Mary to be the one who he came through, then you can't discount right, all of who Mary is. And, and so all that's wrapped up to me. I think it helped that I started in Catholic school, which was also mom's decision. Thanks, mom. Um, so I have high regard for Mary, even as a Presbyterian. But, but all of that's connected. Um, I also have thoughts about fatherhood, but I want to hear some other mystic friends. Well, I, I'm just struck that that is such a more beautiful and eloquent way of 
saying that eventually we all become our parents. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying the like, quiet part out loud. <laughs> I like I like your read a lot better. Um, I I think I've just been struck by no matter the relationship and and obviously there's so much that is personal and unique. This universal thread that kind of flows through all of what we've been talking about this evening and. Um, and I've also been thinking about how often we talk about relationships both in terms of what they are and what they are not. Mm -hmm. And especially, I think, in our society where, where we've become more informed on, on sort of these, you know, we all, we've all have therapists these days and we've talked about relationships more in depth, but how we're better at talking about how, how people, what they were to us and weren't and that that's okay. And that that has given us a, a perhaps far more grace-filled perspective on all of the relationships in our lives. Um, but I've most been drawn to that sort of universal thread that that has been sewn through all of these different relationship pairings. I think what I love about our group is it's the big God. It's not God is a father. God is, in Hebrew, by the way, in the Jewish tradition, God has 70 names. God is called a mother, the womb. Our Father who art in heaven comes from the phrase, Avinu Shabbat Shemaim. Um, but no matter what our tradition, whether God is uh, love, God is called the source of loving relationships, whether it's a daughter or a son. Um, I love the line from Dan Fogelberg's song, Leader of the Band. His father was a band teacher. Have you heard that song from the 70s before you were born? <laughs> Play it sometime. And, and when you listen to it, remember that he wrote it for his dad before his dad died. His dad mm. was dying. He got to hear it. And like Lillian said in one sentence, he realized he's his father. And the line is, he gave to me a gift I know I never can repay. So when you were talking about gratitude, all of you, uh, I hope that's what all of us feel. Now, of course, if we had abusive childhoods, uh, that's another subject. But when we talk about a loving God instead of a fearful God, a God who loves us like a parent instead of one who would put you in fire. Uh, thoughts? I don't want to... Uh take up too much time. go ahead yeah go ahead but um you know thank you for that painting um that installation because when i first walked by it uh it stopped me in my tracks and i'm usually running all over the place when i'm in the clinical areas and the what i took from it from the place i was at was wandering mm. and to then find out that it's called i love you daddy was Oh, it was perfect because like I'm shared before in this space, I've had a really fraught relationship with my father. Um, and so this idea of God only as father was both helpful, but also like not useful because if God is father, my frame of fatherhood was absent, mm -hmm. right? And so I don't want God being absent. I need God being much more near than that. And so this idea of there was wandering, but there was also safety when I, when I saw that painting or what resonated with me. And so it was such a healing moment to hear that it was, I love you, daddy, because 
It offered me this affirmation that you can wander within relationships with parents that were not well, that were fraught, that were broken, and know that within the grand love of God, there's safety there to wander, to risk, to be be upset, to be disappointed. Well, um, that whole idea of wandering within relationships yeah. is really strong because we, I mean, none of our relationships are a straight path. Yeah. I mean, every relationship we have is a wandering at some point. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, what the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, who hurts us the most are the people we love the most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that wandering is inherent in, I think, all of our relationships and especially that parent and child relationship. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to emphasize that my father was a very complicated man. I loved him dearly. He told me as a teenager that, you know, if I was a junkie in the gutter, he would love me. And that was a very important thing to hear. Um, but I did eventually just have to accept him and love him with a lot of faults attached to it, uh, which, which is, you know, really more accepting myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another of the things that I would like the children in this community to take from that piece is uh, the sanctity of, of a father's responsibility to the children that he bears and hopefully the, the love that and the struggle that comes with that love is something that is embraced um, because, you know, it's tough to be a parent, um, but it's it's the best job in the world and uh thank you for saying what the clergy didn't say mm -hmm. that relationships are complicated <laughs> <laughs> and until and, until scott said that like i'm looking behind your head it's not a straight line yeah. <laughs> so, so Stuart, one thing of the children who will see this that you know it shouldn't surprise you that we have have a lot of children who come from single parents where that is almost never the case though is you know we see a ton of immigrant families these days, and the father is always there. Um, the father is always there with uh, those kids who may have come right past your door coming through Costa Rica. Yeah, well, my father, my parents split when I was four, and uh, but my father was always there nevertheless. And, uh, you know, so I do understand what it's like to be loved by a father. Um, and now I'm a father, and, I, I, and, and my kids are complicated. <laughs> <laughs> and I love them, uh, but that love is tested on a regular basis, um, <laughs> as I'm sure many of you can relate. But, but ultimately, it's you know it's the greatest gift I can imagine. Before our announcements and closing, uh, Karen uh, emailed me and said I have a, a song that is based on four words. Is it okay to play? And I think it speaks for itself. It's what y'all are saying tonight. to get through this one. <laughs> for all those times you stood by me, for all the truth that you made me see, for all the joy you brought to my life, for all the wrongs that you made right, for every dream you made come true. Dad, yo. 
I done went and got all choked up. <laughs> uh, shout out to mom who watches this uh, whenever we post it online from New York every month and doesn't miss. Um, yay, mom. Yay, mom. Uh, for our announcements, uh, for the runners in the room, there's a 10, 5K, 10K here uh, next week, next uh, Saturday, Crosstown 5K, 10K benefiting Churchill. So if you feel like running or walking, or simply just cheering, please show up and, and support this good work. But also, some other things for you to show up to. Two of our mysticians are in the Calvary Linton preaching series this year. That is the Reverend Dr. Scott Morris and Rabbi Micah Greenstein. Um, and so you can hear uh, Dr. Morris on February uh, 23rd, that Friday at 12, and then Rabbi Greenstein will be on February 28th, both at 12 noon and a talkback session at 6 p.m. So we pray that you will join us there. And of course, next month for the Mystic on Tuesday, February 5th, 6 p.m. Sorry, March 5th. Goodness, March 5th. <laughs> it's Don't... Groundhog Day. <laughs> it's <right>. Groundhog Day. <laughs> no. And with that, Beautiful. Scott. Right. So I'm going to close us out with uh, a brief meditation from Henry Nowen. During our short lives, the question that guides much of our behavior is, who are we? Although we may seldom pose that question in a formal way, we live it very concretely in our day-to-day -day decisions. The three answers that we generally live, not necessarily give, are, we are what we do, we are what others say about us, and we are what we have. Or in other words, we are our success, we are our popularity, we are our power. It's important to realize the fragility of life that depends on success, popularity, and power. 
His fragility stems from the fact that all three of these are external factors over which we have only limited control. Losing our job, our fame, or our wealth often is caused by events completely beyond our control. But when we depend on them, we have sold ourselves to the world because then we are what the world gives us. Death takes it all away from us. The final statement then becomes, when we are dead, we are dead. Because when we die, we can't do anything anymore. People don't talk about us anymore, and we have nothing anymore. When we are what the world makes us, we can't be after we have left the world. Jesus came to announce to us that an identity based on success, popularity, and power is a false identity, an illusion. Loudly and clearly, he says, you are not what the world makes you, but you are children of God. Let me offer a quick prayer. God of us all, we ask your blessing on those who are gathered here, all of us, children of God. May we realize that. May we live into that. May we engage our parents and our children in our lives. And may we all know that you make us who we are. We pray this in the name of the God who sits high but looks low. Amen. Amen. Thank you.